Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and diehard Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. It was my birthday this week, so I bought myself a pair of PlayStation headphones. I got the PlayStation Gold headphones, and I really like them. I've never actually owned any gaming headphones before. Uh, Like I said in a previous episode, I don't get to play video games very often. I get maybe a few hours a week, although the last few months when I've been obsessed with Days Gone, I've been playing it pretty much every day for at least a couple hours. But the thing is, I have a little kid, he's almost two, and his bedroom is right next to the room where the PlayStation is. So I don't get to turn the volume up on the TV. I have to have the subtitles on and I can like barely hear the freakers in the game. So I bought myself a set of headphones as kind of like a little birthday gift to myself. And oh my God, you guys, I know you all know this because I'm probably the only person who has to play it quietly, that the sound is so good. And with these headphones, they're like 7.1 surround sound, so you can hear like directions of where sounds are coming from. It's really, really cool. It really enhances the gameplay. So I've been like super pumped about that. And I've been playing it with my headphones on and just getting kind of like, kind of enjoying being freaked out a little bit by how close everything sounds. One of the cool things that I noticed is when you pick up a gas can and run, you hear the the gasoline, the petrol, as I would call it, sloshing around inside the gas can, which is so cool and like in time with your running. I also like the sound of his clothes, kind of like you hear the movement in the clothing as he's running, which is just such cool attention to detail. So I'm really happy about that and I'm really enjoying myself. All right, so on to today's topic. I want to talk about the camps and the five different encampments that you go to throughout the game. The first one you encounter, I remember the first time you roll up on Copeland's camp and I didn't, at the beginning, I didn't really get that these are friendly places. Like as I'm driving up, I, I see the signs and you see the little, the torches lining the road. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to like get in a gunfight or something. You know, when you're new to the game and you don't really know the world and things aren't necessarily set up very well. You know, when you're new to the game and and you don't really know how the world works yet, you're still figuring out the rules and how this world works and where you're safe and where you're not and what's an enemy and what isn't. There are a lot of questions in the early hours of gameplay. I think it's just naturally part of the story. It takes you pretty much immediately to Copeland's camp. And I didn't know that this was going to be a friendly place. Because, you know, they've stolen your bike. And so I'm like, oh, obviously there must be enemies. So I roll up like real slow and you hear someone say, there's someone outside. And I'm like, oh, fuck, they've seen me. And then they just open the door and I'm like, okay, guess I'm going in here. And you kind of drive in and look around and it's like, oh, oh, okay. This is, this is an encampment. This is a safe place. I'm welcome here, even though I'm a drifter and I'm not a member of this camp. I'm still affiliated with it. Cool. I hate it when you start a game and it like doesn't really tell you. I mean, maybe it was fun, but not knowing. Just that little moment of fear. I love moments like that that kind of immerse you in the world and, and give you that sense of fear of and, and the unknown. Because quite often in the game, you don't know what you're walking into. I've had a couple times when I've been on 
what do you even call them? Those missions where it's like a question mark on the map and you're doing like your tracking thing and you follow the clues and you get you get captured. There's like a snare or something goes off and you end up hanging upside down from a tree and they come and knock you out. And the next thing you know, you're locked in a wooden box and you don't have any weapons. You have to like bust open the door and like sneak out and get all your shit back. Um, so I like that the game kind of doesn't tell you too much at the beginning because this is a dangerous world. And although your character knows which bits are safe and which bits aren't, you don't know. And that's really the state of mind you should be in, in this world, because it's a scary fucking world. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of The Last of Us, where you start the game in the Boston quarantine zone. The very, very first bit of gameplay after the the intro is where you go out on the streets and there are all the soldiers and they're doing like the... Um, the medical checks on people. I remember playing the game and thinking, okay, I want to know what kind of game this is. What are the rules of this gameplay and this, this world? And I went up to one of the soldiers and he kind of like shoves you and says, keep moving. And I was like, okay, cool. What happens if I go up again? And he knocks you to the ground and shoots you in the head and you die. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck just happened? The game, a, a non-playable character, just fucking killed me in the first minute of the game because I went up to him twice. Like in every other video game I played before that, you can just endlessly bother all the NPCs and either they'll talk to you or they'll just ignore you. This never happened to me before where you just get murdered in cold blood by a non-playable character. So since then, I've been a little more cautious in the early few hours of gameplay, just in case I encounter a game like that. And and don't misunderstand me, I loved that detail in The Last of Us. I thought that was fantastic. That was the perfect introduction to the world. And that's really what I was trying to feel out with Copeland's Camp. I was wondering if it was the same kind of thing. Like, is this something that part of the game is I'm going to run into these camps and I'm going to have to like fight my way in or avoid the area until I can get more guns or more fire power or whatever. So Copeland's camp was one of the camps that I never really used. It didn't actually feel that useful beyond the first few hours of the game when you're getting your bike back together. It only sells bike upgrades. They only have a few, so pretty much once you've got them all, that's it. There's no real reason to go back into the camp, except for two things. One, obviously, is to go back to see Copeland to get missions. And secondly, there's a road going through it. So there are times when you might want to go down that road. I don't think I did anything in this camp. I don't even think I walked around it. I played the game twice now. I don't think I really explored it. There are no guns for sale. Sure, you can sell meat and ears and, you know, get the trust. But honestly, you've got O'Leary Mountain, your, your safe house with Boozer right nearby. So it really didn't serve much of a purpose. I actually thought it was a really cool layout. Like I liked how they had the sort of, it reminded me of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with the the wooden walkways up in the trees. That was kind of cool. And I also liked Copeland. I liked his backstory and his character. I thought he was kind of interesting and he's the kind of guy that would probably survive in this world. And I love the contrast between him and Tucker. They both have these extreme personalities and these very distinct points of view about the world because Cope is a, like a prepper, anti-government, you know, conspiracy theorist. And Tucker worked in a penitentiary. She was the head of the female ward. Uh, so she has the sort of law and order kind of point of view. And Copeland obviously has the opposite kind of law of the self. So that was kind of interesting just how opposite they were. Now, Tucker's camp also has the, the opposite deal in that you can buy weapons but not bike upgrades. I I didn't really 
I found myself visiting her camp, I think, more often just because a lot of the missions lead you there. But honestly, I, I never... I'm one of those players, I like to play by stealth. I don't really invest a lot in guns, so I tend to just either use what I find or use what I have. I think I bought a couple guns early in the game and just kind of stuck with them the first playthrough. And also, you don't really need a lot of weapons early in the game. I think the ones that you start with are adequate, so I don't even know if... Maybe I didn't even buy any guns from Alkai. The thing that I liked and I use light very loosely, I thought was interesting, is perhaps a better way of phrasing it, is the opinion everyone else has about it. I'm not entirely sure the game designers really hammered home the difference in the camp, because on the surface, from the outside, they all kind of looked very similar. You agree to join the camp, and you pitch in in whatever way is required, and then you get the safety of living in the camp. I think with Tucker's camp, the difference is that they work you from dawn to dusk. But even at Lost Lake, when Boozer's working on the farm, like, he has a shift, he has duties, he doesn't get time off, or, or doesn't get to decline work. Like, you have to work. If you want to eat, you have to work. But everyone sort of says of Tucker about how she's, how she's basically a slaver. These people are imprisoned. And perhaps that's true. The storyline with Lisa definitely tells us that people are not allowed to leave Tucker's camp. But at the same time, we've got Lisa as the one telling us that, and she's hardly a reliable narrator. She's a teenage girl who's really fucked up. And I do want to cover Lisa's story in a future episode, so if you have any comments about Lisa, write in and let me know, and we'll, we'll go into it all in detail on another episode. And strategically, it's not really worth investing really in either of these camps early on in the game, or at any point. The only reason to invest in them later is to get them up to trust level 3, so that you get the extra little cutscenes when they join you in the final battle. But it's completely not necessary. You don't have to do it. It doesn't really affect anything else in the game. All the good shit really is at Iron Mike's camp. That's the best place in the first half of the game to get guns and bike upgrades. And also, it's just the coolest camp. Like, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed... I mean, that's when the game really starts to kind of come into its own. I really felt a shift when you get there, and that's perhaps because of Ricky, and you really get into more of Deacon's emotional state, and his relationships with other people, and things with Boozer really develop in an interesting way. Iron Mike, Schizo... You know, it just... The, everything interesting about Days Gone happens when you get to Lost Lake. Everything before that is kind of cool, but doesn't really hook you in the way that the Lost Lake stuff does. The only thing I didn't like about Lost Lake is that I would get lost driving through there, and I hated going over that bridge at the back. I mean, I didn't mind the bridge, it's just I couldn't get from where I would accept the mission from Ricky to the bridge. I would always run into a tree stump or I'd take a wrong turn, and I just, I hate driving through it. But then, So I would always go out the main gate and just drive the long way around the lake. But mostly, you know, that, that camp is... Camp is great. So when you get to the south part of the map, of course you have Wizard Island and Diamond Lake. Wizard Island, kind of like Lost Lake, is I found it a little disorienting trying to navigate it. It takes forever to drive to the gate when you have to get off the island. And you have to do that like half speed and you can't nitro and, and you go past all the people who are, you know, running the drills and doing the obstacle course. I mean, it's a great design. When I found out that it's based on a real island that is really called Wizard Island in Crater Lake, like all of the places in the game are real, that blew my mind. And you should look, if you haven't looked at pictures of Crater Lake, 
Lake. Go do stop this podcast right now. Go look up pictures of Crater Lake because it is phenomenal. It's so cool. And all of the names of the roads and stuff are all taken from the real place. It's amazing that they did that. It's so cool because you can actually go and visit the game, essentially, if you go to Oregon. So in Wizard Island, it has the best guns in the game, even when you're at low level trust. So if you really want to get the good guns, it's worth waiting until you get there. Although I didn't buy a lot of guns in the game, so I had a lot of money. So by the time I got there, I was like, oh, cool, I can afford pretty much anything I want. I was never hurting for money because I just, I don't spend it, I guess. And then Diamond Lake, I think, is one of the coolest uh, landscapes in the game where they burnt out the surrounding area and everything's just charred and barren. So fucking creepy. Like, really cool. And, like, strategically, I'm, I'm a big... I don't want to say fan, because that is such the wrong word. I I find the idea of the scorched earth tactic really interesting. There's just something so extreme about it that you're just going to fuck up everything so that no one else can have it. As a tactic, like a military tactic, it's effective. And they got to build the camp uh, barricades, the, the fortifications with all the trees they cut down. It just looks so eerie. I just, I love the look of it. I love driving through it. And I love how when you sort of reach the edge of the burnout area and then suddenly it's just snapped back to normal. And there's just like trees and, and animals and, and, and the air clears because there's this haze over Diamond Lake all the time, which I think is just so atmospheric. So Diamond Lake is the place to get the bike upgrades. And those are the good ones. Those you definitely want to get. I love that they thought of a way in the game to create currency through killing the Freakers. The idea that all of these camps have decided that to clear out the Freakers out in the shit is worthy of reward and that if you bring in proof of what you've done, then you get credits, like money, to spend in the camp. That was just a really clever dynamic. Because in a post-apocalyptic world, you have to have some system of money if you're going to do, you know, trading and if you have goods that are available that you want to have some sort of basic economy, you need something to trade for. And if it's all just like literal trade of objects, you're limited with how much you can carry or bring to a person. So you have to have money. You, you can't escape it. Or, or some system of money, something that is indicative of value. Oh, I also want to mention O'Leary Mountain, the safe house. So this is where Deacon and Boozer have been living for a couple of years. And I love that they don't tell anyone where they live because you know that that's a really fucking cool little hideout that they have. So a couple things I didn't know about the safe house early on in the game when Boozer's injured his arm and he's just holed up there. So he'll radio you and say, hey, I, I've left some stuff out for you. I never found it. So I would look at the area under the ladders and you find like scrap and gunpowder and kerosene. But off to the side, there's like a what I call a balcony. There's like some barbed wire and a real nice sort of lookout view. He'll actually make like Molotov cocktails and things like that and they're sitting over there and then up in the safe house itself there's the ammo box where you can also get stuff from that another thing i didn't realize is the gasoline when you refill your bike there's a gas can but there's also a petrol pump a gas pump and you can just drive up to it and refill from your bike you don't have to get off your bike it took me about half the game to realize that you could do that at all the gas stations. I would drive up, park, get off my bike and start running around looking for the gas can and then take that back to my bike and refill. I didn't realize right off the bat that you can refill straight from the pump. Interesting trivia, there's a collectible called Delivery Boy that you find on Wizard Island that is a note to Taylor 
about a six encampment in the region called Pinnacles, presumably located in the vicinity of the Pinnacles National Park to the east of Highway 97. And apparently it was intended to be used at one point in the game as some sort of story mission, but I guess it got cut for whatever reason. Also, someone on Reddit recently posted that they'd found a hack or a glitch to get into Farewell. They actually mapped out as a playable region the town of Farewell, which you only see in the cutscene flashbacks to the night of the apocalypse, when Sarah's put on the helicopter and all of that. I don't know if that means it was ever intended to be playable at some point. That would have been kind of interesting. Maybe they were thinking along the lines of The Last of Us, where you had that whole intro as all the shit was going down, and that was a playable mini sequence. Maybe they'd intended to do that, and for some reason they they cut it. It's really cool to think that there are these locations outside of the map that exist that you, you know, you could in an alternate reality, I guess, you could get to them, or via a glitch. I just think that's really cool that it kind of fleshes out the world and makes it seem like the boundaries of the map are not hard boundaries, that there is more world beyond it. And who knows, maybe one day, maybe, maybe we can hope there'll be a Days Gone 2 and we'll see more of that world. It's nice to dream. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out.